0: you have your copy of the word of God, I want to invite you to open up to John chapter one. Our text this morning is beginning in verse thirty five, John one thirty five through fifty one is Mr. Al. Mentioned a moment ago, the title of the message this morning is discipleship with Jesus growing into our confession, growing into our confession. I think the reason for the title will become obvious as we read through the text. But if you found your place in verse thirty five, say amen. Okay, follow along as I read again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. The next day he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming and said to him, said of said to him and said of him behold an israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit Nathanael said to him how do you know me jesus answered and said to him before philip called you when you were under the fig tree i saw you and nathaniel answered him rabbi You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let us pray. Father, this morning, by your Holy Spirit, may you as we just sang, open our eyes to the truth of your word. May you reveal yourself to us through your word this morning. May you teach us full obedience. May you fashion within us a hunger and desire for your holiness. May you fashion within us a hunger and desire to pursue you like we've not before. And God may you continue to instruct us in walking and following you. No Lord now I pray that you would look upon us your servants. And God that as you look upon us that you would uh, you would move any barriers that are here this morning that would hinder us from hearing what you would want us to hear. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And God, that you would be exalted. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. (coughs) This morning, our children uh, walked through what we call Promotion Sunday. And they were promoted right from one class to the next and got to meet uh, their new teachers this morning, and even our youth promoted from uh, from from fifth grade; those who enter six promoted into the youth dome. So it's a, a milestone, something fun, right? Uh, the 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 new youth that are coming in, they're getting to experience new things and grow in in that way. I, I don't know where the division line happens, where as adults we quit promoting from one class to the next. Uh, oftentimes we don't want to promote to the next class, right? Well. Uh, that kind of tends to be like when you have the, the, the young professionals class that eventually grows out of young professionals or the college class that usually eventually grows out of college. and But it's still called the young professionals or the young college class, right, or, uh, or the young adults class and so on and so forth. It's just part of life, isn't it, that we grow. Uh, things change, seasons come and go. We grow in the midst of, of these seasons that Come and go in life and it's just a natural part of life. Well, in discipleship, there is a natural part of discipleship that happens or ought to happen. Maybe I should say it's not natural, but it's something that has to be worked at and that is growth growing, progressing in this Christian life, progressing in our understanding of Christ, progressing in our our relationship and knowledge of His Word, progressing in our love and affection for the Lord Jesus, progressing in our relationship to the community and the body of saints. There is a progression that is to be happening in the life of every disciple, every Christian, ought to be growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ought to be growing in, in praxis, that is, in, in employing what we are learning from the Lord Jesus through studying His Word or through coming and being part of a, of a, of a church fellowship and a church body and, and being instructed in the Word of God. We ought to be growing in, in our knowledge and understanding and also in living out God's Word. And so this morning, as we look at discipleship with Jesus growing into our confession, uh, I want us to begin first with understanding maybe what's going on in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. And that is to say, the first point, that faithful proclamation is a means of divine interaction. Now, it's not the only means of divine interaction, but it is certainly a means of divine interaction. Faithful proclamation is a means of divine interaction. I would submit to you this morning that God has ordained it so he's ordained it to be this way so that as we hear God's word preached, we encounter the risen Savior. As we sit under the preaching and teaching of God's word, we encounter Jesus as we would not otherwise. There's a divine moment when we open up the living word of God. And we submit our minds and our hearts to hearing and learning the truth, and being taught in the truth of God's word. We see that happening for John the Baptist here, and for the disciples who are walking with John the Baptist. In verse thirty-five, again, the next day it says John was standing with two of his disciples, and as he was standing there, he looked at Jesus, and he he walked and said, uh, he looked at Jesus as he walked and. John said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And it says, When they heard him speak, they left John and they began to follow Jesus. Now I want to remind you that before this, John has been preaching. He's been in the wilderness preaching, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. He's been faithfully preaching and proclaiming the word of God. He's been faithfully preaching and calling others to see this one who will come, this Messiah and so when he says in verses 34 and 35 or says in verses, verse 34, uh, verse, excuse me, verse 29, the Lamb of God, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's pointing all eyes to Christ. And so we see that faithful proclamation becomes a means of divine interaction. Now, this isn't the only place in Scripture that we could turn to see this truth laid out. We see it at many other places in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Or in 1 Timothy four sixteen, where Paul tells Timothy, Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. That is, the preaching and teaching ministry of the word of God is significant in the life of the church, in the life of a believer. So John was standing there with his two disciples, and as he looked out, he saw Jesus coming, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. That perfect title that he he speaks here of Jesus, that perfect title is one that so eloquently and majestically encapsulates all of Scripture by summing up the message of the gospel and pointing all people to Christ, pointing his disciples, his followers to Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God, he said. Each day as John was faithfully proclaiming the message of repentance and pointing Everyone to the coming Messiah. John's ministry was being fulfilled as he preached. We see it in verses 19 through 34. As John preached, he was saying, no, I am not the Christ. He, he vehemently defended himself and said, no, I am not the promised one that you are looking for. He says, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. I'm not worthy to, to be the one who would even come and untie his sandals. He is a higher rank than I. And so in true humility, John is pointing all people unto Christ. His role as a disciple maker then became a catalyst for pointing others to Christ. Maybe there have been some disciple makers in your life that have done that for you. They've been a catalyst in your life to point you to Christ, to to push you and to press you into the mold that Christ is, 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 is forming you into. One man in my life that I'm so grateful for that did that was a man by the name of Tim LaFleur. I've spoken of him before. Many of you have heard of him. You know him. And such a tremendous man of God. And God used that man in such a mar- marvelous way to point me to Christ, to show me, what it means to walk with Christ and to be a disciple of Christ and to mentor me and to, uh, to, to, to challenge me in ways that I had not been challenged before. And I want to just just briefly just share this morning that God is calling us to be the same way in the lives of others. I mean, that's part of the Great Commission, make disciples of all nations, Right? It, part of what we as believers are called to do in this process of discipleship is not only to be being discipled by Christ, but also to be investing in others or have others investing in us. It's a key part of growing in Christ. And chances are, if we've grown stagnant in our relationship with Christ, we're not in a, a place of uh, of discipleship and, uh, and and being poured into or invested in by Others. So when these two men heard John say, behold, the Lamb of God, they recognized. This is the one whom John is pointing us to. This is the one that we need to follow. And and they left and followed him. Now, most scholars agree at this point that the two disciples that are spoken of here in verses thirty five and thirty six and thirty seven were Andrew. Of course, we have that name given to us, but also John. John. They agree that these two disciples who began following Jesus were Andrew and John, the author of the gospel, not John the Baptist. Though it's not of great consequence for us here in this passage, but identifying John as the unnamed disciple here fits with the rest of the gospel where John is not identified. He doesn't identify himself other than to call himself the one whom Jesus loved. And we see that as we walk through the gospel of John. But here's the thing, as they hear the faithful proclamation of John the Baptist and are pointed to Christ, they encounter Jesus when they begin following him in verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said, What do you seek? What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? They didn't really answer the question. But as they encounter Jesus, the Lamb of God, I think what happens is their motives are challenged. That is to say that when we encounter the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, he challenges our motives. Now, I think that's what's at the bottom of this question that Jesus asked the disciples as they begin to follow him. In fact, John MacArthur in his commentary makes a a, a great point saying, Jesus doesn't ask whom do you seek when they come after him. He doesn't say, who are you seeking? Instead, he says, what do you seek? He knew they were looking for Messiah. But he asked them what they were seeking in order to challenge their motives. You see, if they're going to follow Jesus, they must be open to having their understanding of Messiah shaped and transformed through discipleship, through walking with Jesus. Many people of the day approach Jesus with ulterior motives but we see throughout scripture that jesus knew their heart even as they came to him he knew what they were thinking he knew their mind jesus knew their hearts and we, re- we read later in john john two twenty three. now when he was in jerusalem at the passover feast many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. See, for Andrew and John, following Jesus involved answering this question, what do you seek? What do you seek? They had to answer this question. Of course, we'll see in a moment how they avoided this question, but They had to wrestle with this question internally. What truly are you seeking? Church, believer, seeker. This morning I would ask us the same question. What are you seeking? As we gather here for worship today, what are we seeking as we come together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ? As we come together to meet in this place, what are we seeking? Many who come to Jesus today come because they want a quick fix for the problems of life. In fact, that's why so many people, so many people come to Jesus or or begin coming to church, start going to church when something bad or traumatic happens in life. Now hear me out, God can certainly use bad things in our lives to bring good for His glory, and He does do that. He does work in that way. But our motives are checked and tested when we come to Christ and we come to follow Him. Our motives must be examined. Some people hold out this prosperity gospel teaching and dangle this before people in order to appeal to men's weakness and then they begin to seek after riches and things of this nature in order to fulfill this desire from within. But there's not truly this desire to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Others seek power and position or fame or a following or are simply to be associated with something bigger than themselves. They seek earthly treasure instead of heavenly treasure, seeking easy answers instead of supernatural sustaining power to strengthen us, to follow him. Temporal satisfaction instead of eternal joy. Being complacent and simply having fire insurance instead of pursuing a life of holiness and sanctification and following the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe some of us are not part of those extremes. Maybe some have come this morning for a selfish reason. Maybe it's to check off the religious box that says I did my duty for the week. Or maybe some came this morning because they wanted to appease their parents. Maybe some this morning came out of habit and there's not... Joy and coming in and experiencing the communion of the saints and worshiping the Lord together. So as we come this morning, we must examine. Our motives as well. What is it that you seek? Church, we must battle the war and wage a war against the flesh Conversion is not the point at which we stop striving for godliness and holiness in our life. I want you to hear me this morning. Conversion is not where we stop. It is the point in which we begin walking with Christ and pursuing the life of Christ. And so I ask us this morning, what are you seeking? What are we seeking? And So we see faithful proclamation leads us to encounter Jesus, the Lamb of God who challenges our motives. And when we encounter Jesus, the Lamb of God, secondly, we see that He he calls us to life. He calls us to a life of discovery and transformation. He calls us to a life of discovery and transformation. We see this in verse 39. But in verse 38, notice how they answered to this question, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? They ask him, where are you staying? He says, what do you seek? They say, where are you staying? Where are you dwelling? In other words, where's the place where you're going to reside? And Jesus says to them, come and see. He commands them, come and see. Come and follow me. So they came. And saw where he was staying. Jesus, as he commands them to come and see. They're coming to see so their question might be answered. But when the two disciples ask him, where are you staying? They they literally mean to inquire about where he's lodging, his accommodations for the night. But Jesus wasn't inviting them to a house, uh, to, to to come to his house and, and see his spread. He wasn't inviting them to come to a, a, a welcoming party for his home. He wasn't inviting them uh, just to come and hang out as friends. In fact, in Matthew 8:20, we know from the synoptic tradition. That Jesus says to one of those who would be disciples, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So Jesus is not specifically only referencing the place where he will make his dwelling and lay his head that night. In fact, RVG Tasker, one commentator, he comments about Jesus' response saying, as John in his gospel so often does, the word dwell has double significance. So when he answers the question with... Come and you will see he is in fact bidding these men to do something more than discover where he's staying for the night. He's inviting them to come and to gain insight into the mind and the purpose of God himself. He's inviting them to come and to see more than just their his dwelling place on earth. He's inviting these men to come and be part of the journey. John 14, 23, Jesus speaking to his disciples says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and we will make our home, our dwelling with him. You see the significance here of what Jesus Christ does to those who are following him in discipleship. He comes and he makes his dwelling, his Home, where are you staying, they ask. Jesus says, come and see. Come and reside with me. Come and be with me. It must have been an illuminating evening as they followed Jesus and went and they sat down with him. It says it was the tenth hour and as they went with him and lodged with him, John doesn't record for us all the details of the conversation that they had from that evening. But the results of what happened happened at that evening are certainly clear because the next thing we see occurring is in verse 40. One of the two who had heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. You see, Andrew discovers the joy of following and leading others to Jesus. He discovers the joy of following and leading others to Jesus. Verse 41 says, he found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. So he goes out and he finds his brother. The first thing he does, the text means to communicate this excitement and an exuberance in finding his brother and Simon Peter. As he goes and he finds Simon Peter, he wants to tell him about the Messiah you know, and there, there's an urgency as well here. There's an urgency that's communicated in Andrew's actions. As he goes out, he says, He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah. There's an urgency for Andrew in searching out Peter, his brother. In fact, this would be a continued pattern in Andrew's life throughout the Gospel of John. The other places that we see and are, are interacting with the with John, uh, with Andrew in the Gospel of John shows us that he is always involved in bringing others to Jesus, whether it was a young boy with the fish in John chapter six, verses eight and nine, or whether it was the Greeks in John chapter 12, verses 20 through 22, Andrew had a passion for sharing Jesus with others. He had a passion for bringing others and introducing them to the Lord Jesus. I want us to recognize this morning that God used Andrew to lead others to Christ. And I want us to know that he still uses us today to lead people to Christ. We're called by God through discipleship with Jesus to share the good news of Christ with all those uh, that we come in contact with or with those that we we have an influence with. We're called by the Lord Jesus to make disciples of the nations and to lead others to Christ. In fact, that's what Paul is speaking about in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Or 2 Corinthians, rather, that we would be, we would be ambassadors for Christ, that we looked at in, in Sunday school this morning, in our Sunday morning Bible study, that we are to be ambassadors for Christ, making an appeal on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. We see Andrew carrying out this very thing in his discipleship and walking with Jesus. I'm going to ask us this morning, have, have you discovered the joy of leading others to Christ? Have you discovered the joy of, of walking with Christ and following him? Listen, whether or not a person follows Jesus isn't up to you. But our calling is to lead people to Jesus. So in your sharing of the gospel, I want to ask you this morning, are you are discovering the joy of, of sharing the life of Christ? Are you just, have you discovered the joy? Have you experienced the joy of, of following Jesus and being led by Him and sharing the wonderful truth of the gospel with those that you, that you come in contact with? I pray that you have. Church, let us be faithful to lead people to Jesus. Let us be faithful, like Andrew, to be one who leads others to Christ, that we come in contact with, we want to show them this wonderful Savior, we want to show them this sovereign Savior. We want to do it by sharing with them the Word of God. Peter is pictured here as one who begins this process of transformation in his life, and I want us to see that in verse 42. So we see Andrew giving us this this picture of uh, of, of discovering the joy of leading others to Christ, which has been brought about by the faithful proclamation of John the Baptist. And as they've encountered Jesus, they have been they have been challenged in their motives. They have been transformed and are in the midst of being transformed. And so then we see in verse 42, this picture of one who begins this journey of transformation. Jesus looks at Peter. So Peter comes to Jesus. He's brought there by Andrew. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. As Jesus looks at Peter and says this to him, Simon was just his his name. It was a common name in the Greek world. Andrew's brother, Simon. But Jesus says to him, You will be called Cephas. It's an Aramaic word or name, and it translates into Petros in the Greek or Peter or in English, Rock. It means rock. I I don't want us to miss what's going on here and what Jesus is, is telling Peter. As Peter comes to him, he looks at him as he arrives there for the first day of his discipleship class. And he says to him, Peter, or he says to him, rather, Simon, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called. Petros, or you will be called Cephas. You will be called rock. In other words, today, you're just weak Simon. But as you walk with me, you will become the rock. You will become a rock-solid foundation. As you Walk with me, you will grow from being weak Simon into being a strong rock. Don't miss what Jesus is doing here. He's he's foreshadowing what's going to happen in and through Peter's life. Over time, as he walks with Jesus and is a follower of Jesus, he's going to be transformed into a rock And the point is that Jesus gives him the power to be transformed into that which he is calling him to be. And it's the same thing in our lives. That which Jesus is calling us to be, he gives us the power to be transformed into all that he wants us to be and he he shapes us to be. We need to hear that at the point of our conversion to Christ, we too are weak and infantile in our faith. We, too, are weak and in need of the milk of the word so that we grow and buy it. Then we begin to to dine on the, the meat of God's word. But here's the thing. God doesn't intend for us to stay infantile in our faith, in our walk with Christ. God never intended for anyone to become a believer, or never intends for anyone to to be converted to Christ and then just remain an infant for the rest of their time. That's not how He has designed it. In the same way that young children grow up into be to, to be adults is the same for the believer as an infant we we grow into this confession and this conversion. Peter, in his first epistle, says it this way. We are living stones being built up into a spiritual house, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, to offer up spiritual sacrifices unto God. The Christian is called to a life of transformation through discipleship with Christ, and that's what Jesus is telling Peter here. That's what he's speaking to Peter about. You will be called Cephas. You will be called Rock. Right now you're weak, Simon, but as you walk with me, you will grow. Many today think that being a Christian and being a disciple are two different things, right? Are you a Christian? Yes. Are you a disciple? No. But listen, they are one and the same. We cannot be Christians, children of God, and not be disciples following him, growing. Jesus calls us to a life of transformation To follow Christ is to surrender our motives to discover the joy of following and leading others to Christ and to grow in transformation through discipleship. When we come to Christ our motives must be checked. We hear the proclamation of God's word. We are exhorted into walking with Christ. We encounter Christ and he calls us to a life of discovery and transformation whereby we, we discover the joy of following and leading others to Christ and we engage in this lifelong process of being transformed into the image of Christ. We are disciples of Christ and we are growing in His likeness. This means we have to fight against the lust of the flesh in order to pursue the holiness of God. This means we must walk by the Spirit of God and not by the flesh. We must be quick to run from the things that are unholy and run to the holiness of God I want to challenge us this morning are we walking faithfully as disciples of Christ are we are we like Andrew in wanting to bring others to Jesus are we like Peter engaged in this this process of growing from weak Simon into Cephas the rock Are we on this journey? Are we just kind of sitting idly by, trusting in our fire insurance and complacent in our Christianity? Just taking each day as it comes, easy come, easy go. Are we engaging with others for the sake of the gospel? Are we living a life of holiness in order to please God? Second thing I want us to see in this text this morning Beginning in verse 43, Jesus shows sovereign initiative in calling people to himself. Jesus shows sovereign initiative in calling people to himself. In verse 43, it says the next day he purposed to go into Galilee and he found Philip and Jesus said to him, follow me. Jesus purposed to go into Galilee where he found Philip, and when he tells him, follow me, he isn't asking him a question. Instead, he's giving him a command. In fact, this is a command in the language of the New Testament. He commands him. Jesus commands Philip. He says, follow me. The the, the dialogue was probably more than just follow me. John emphasizes this for us for simplicity's sake. I I think he emphasizes this brief transaction to show us that Jesus is exercising sovereign initiative in locating and calling Philip to himself. You know, John develops this theme throughout throughout his gospel, this theme of sovereign initiative. He does it to highlight the ministry of of Jesus in calling men and women to himself. He does it throughout this passage throughout the remainder of uh, of chapter 1, but he also does it in a place like John thirteen eighteen, where he says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And again in John fifteen sixteen, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So Jesus calls Philip, and Philip begins to follow Jesus. And in verse 45, Philip found Nathanael as soon as he is called by the Lord Jesus. You see, Jesus calls Philip to follow him, and there's this similarity, right, between Philip and Andrew. Andrew is one who goes as soon as he hears the call, and he follows follows, or he goes as soon as he hears a call, rather, and he doesn't follow, he he goes and he finds Peter. And when he finds Peter, he comes and he brings Peter to Jesus. It's the same thing that Philip does here with Nathaniel. Those who are disciples of Jesus are quick to go out and to find others and want to bring them to Jesus and tell others about Jesus. And so look at what Philip tells Nathaniel. He says in verse 45, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip simply says, Come and see, right? right come and see. Here's what I think Philip's so confident about. I think Philip is so confident. That if he can introduce Nathanael to Jesus, his work is done. He's so confident that if he can bring Nathanael to see this one who the scriptures and the prophets have spoken of, if he, can introd- if he can just introduce him to Jesus, his work is done. He doesn't try to convince him anything beyond that. He just says, you just come and see. Let me show you the one that I found. It's amazing. It's amazing to see just what has happened in Nathaniel, in in Philip's life and in, in Andrew's life. As they've encountered the Lord Jesus, they've become excited and exuberant about sharing this Jesus with those who are close to them. I would say for us, oh, that we would be so bold and so confident when we... Venture into and share the gospel and evangelize others. So often we share the gospel as, as, if, as if we're timid and don't want to step on anyone's toes or, or offend anyone. If we share the gospel at all. I'm not saying that we should be insensitive in the way that we share the gospel. I think we must be responsible and share in love and not share in a condemnatory way. Or not share in a way that's condescending But I want you to hear this. There really isn't anything friendly about the gospel to those who reject Jesus Christ. There's nothing friendly and inviting about the gospel to those who reject Jesus. That's why in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul says that we are the aroma from life to life to some, to those who are being saved, but death to death, to those who are perishing we see another truth at work, though, in this encounter between Philip and Nathaniel and Jesus. While Philip extends the invitation to Nathaniel, we recognize that Philip is really fulfilling the greater role of a disciple of Jesus. He's serving as a vessel through which Jesus is divinely drawing Nathaniel. Look at, look at what's said. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, "How do you know me?" And Jesus answered and said, "Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you." And the response that was significant, because the response from Nathaniel, he goes from one who is uh, questioning one who doesn't want to believe, one who doesn't want to embrace. He goes from that point to the next thing he says. he, He says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. He goes from a cynic to one who wants to be a follower. Just that quick in what Jesus says to him. That's significant. We see that God is using Philip to draw nathaniel to him but also that he's already been drawing nathaniel to himself and through this interaction we see the mystery of the gospel and salvation played out between the sovereign initiative and god's calling people to himself and at the same time using his disciples as part of the process and extending the call to all or to others who follow christ and so I need to emphasize, I want to emphasize this morning, church, our role as disciples of Christ in seeing others come into the kingdom of God and be introduced to Jesus. It's, it's significant that you and I are to be part of bringing others to Jesus. We ought to be like Philip and like Andrew who want to bring all those we know to come and introduce them to Jesus that we would be confident if they could just encounter, if they can just see or meet Jesus, then he will do the rest. Our lives ought to be lived in such a way as not to call question to the words that we are speaking. So Jesus calls Philip. And in verse forty nine, we see the conversion or the confession and growth. In Philip's life or in Nathaniel's life, rather. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And I think here Nathanael's conversion offers us a tremendous picture of the full process of discipleship. So I want to offer a definition right now. For discipleship, I'm sure you've probably had a million definitions or read a million definitions of discipleship, but I want to offer a a definition of discipleship based upon this text and then show you where it comes from. So, the definition is this discipleship is the process of transformation by which we grow into our confession. Discipleship is the process of transformation. By which we grow into our confession. Nathanael attributes two titles, really. Rabbis, he's saying teacher of respect, title of respect, but he attributes two titles to Jesus in verse 49. The first one he says, You are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And both these titles are truthful statements foundationally. What Nathanael is saying is right and accurate. This is who Jesus is, the Son of God. This, he is the King of Israel. But Nathanael would have to spend the next three years walking with Jesus as a disciple of Jesus to grasp the weight of such a confession because Nathaniel means by these titles, what Nathaniel means by these titles is completely different than what Jesus means as he fulfills these titles. So Nathaniel must grow in his understanding of how Jesus is the Son of God, how he is the King of Israel. And he would do this by walking with Jesus over the next three years and growing as his disciple and you see it's the same for us when we are converted to Christ and we make the confession you are the Christ we say you are you are lord We certainly are genuine in our confession about Jesus, but we spend the rest of our days on earth growing into that confession. That's why discipleship is a process of transformation by which we grow into this confession that we made. Nathaniel certainly did not understand all that he meant or all that was encapsulated in these titles, but as he walks with Jesus and as he follows Jesus and sees these miracles that Jesus performs, he begins to grow into a, a better and a greater understanding. And he wrestles with this understanding of what it means for Jesus to truly be the Son of God. What it means for Him truly to be the King of Israel. Not some political king that would reign supremely, but one who is king over all. Nathaniel would have, have to spend much time in this school of discipleship with Jesus in order to grow into an understanding of what that means. And it's the same for us Upon our conversion to Christ, when we come to him, we are are infantile in our faith. And while our confession is genuine, while our confession is truthful, it's not enough. It's enough. But as we walk this earth, we must grow. We must grow into this confession. For walking with Christ, this is discipleship. It's, It's growing into this confession that he is Lord. My life is My understanding of Christ today is much greater than it was when I first came to Christ. My understanding and and, and feeling and sensing the weight of my own sin and my own inability is greater today than it was the first day that I came to Christ. It ought to be that way for us. We would be profoundly impacted in our understanding of the Lord Jesus And so our understanding today of walking with Christ and walking in obedience to Christ and being his disciple ought to be much greater than last year at the same time. That as disciples of Christ, we we ought to be growing in our confession. We live and exist to walk in relation to God Everything in our lives is a subcategory under the umbrella of discipleship with Christ, walking in relation to Christ. We ought to be daily growing in our confession of Christ. So as we work, recognizing and realizing that God has placed us right there where we are in work, in order for him to be glorified in order for him to be made much of, or perhaps recognizing that God doesn't want us in the place where we are working and submitting to that and finding even a new place of work. He's called us to be the best employee, or the best employer for the glory of God. This is part of growing into our confession as we live in the community of saints and and are in relation with other believers we are, we are learning what it what it means to show the world that what Jesus said, they, they will know that you're my disciples by the way that you what you love one another. So as disciples of Christ and as growing into this confession, we begin to learn that it's, it's not really about us at all. It's about serving others. We learn it's about walking with Christ. We learn that it's about experiencing the joy of of knowing him and. And experiencing the joy of leading others to follow Him and leading others to Him. As we engage our world and we live the gospel, we are we are to be about evangelizing those who don't know Christ. We are to be about sharing this wonderful message of hope and truth. And even as we experience hardships and trials in life, these these become the venues through which God uses His disciples to be light in the midst of the world and to pierce the darkness. As disciples of Christ, God works in our lives to shape us for eternal glorification. And all of these, all of these aspects of life have something to do with our growing in discipleship. But they are all under the umbrella of walking in discipleship with Christ. As believers, we must walk In a way that's fitting and honoring of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly, I want us to see this morning in this text that Jesus is the mediator between heaven and earth. Jesus is the mediator between heaven and earth, and I think that's what we see in verse 50 and 51. Jesus answered and said to them, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? you'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Of course, this is a reference to Genesis chapter 28 verse 12 when Jacob has the dream and he sees the ladder lowered down from heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the ladder And what Jesus is saying here is that he's the link between heaven and earth. He's the one who has come down from heaven in order to reveal God. And he's the only one through whom God can truly be encountered. He is the one who is capable of revealing heavenly truth to men. And so Jesus is the one who is the mediator between heaven and earth. He brings the realities of God to us and he lifts us to God. Jacob in his dream sees a ladder. But Jesus here is the ladder. He is the one by which the angels ascend and descend. Listen, and the point is clear. It's Jesus, he is the one by whom man comes in contact with God. There is no other way. There is no other one. Nathaniel could not have understood, understood the depth That was Christ's mission, but he knew that he was at his beginning point when he cried out, You are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. I would say to us this morning, all of us are at different points in our discipleship with the Lord Jesus. And I realize that, and we all realize that we're all at different points. But we need to hear and to heed this challenge from God's word this morning. That discipleship with Jesus is a call to grow into our confession of Christ. We say that he is Lord daily. We're fleshing out how he's Lord of our life. We say that he is Savior who has saved us from our sin as deposited the Spirit within us daily, we are fleshing out what it means for His Holy Spirit to reside within us and strengthen us and empower us to resist sin, to flee from sin and to draw near to God. So I want to encourage us this morning as disciples of Christ that we would engage and walk in this process of transformation. That we would follow the Lord Jesus Christ obediently as we sang about this morning. And so I want to challenge you this morning to consider these things before the Lord, to consider what's my motive to come before Him and to praise His name and at the same time ask, God, teach me, hold me accountable, help me to walk after you and to have a passion for your whole. Show me areas in my life that I need to surrender to you Move me from this place of complacency so that I will walk with You and be, be a faithful follower. Give me words to speak so that I might be faithful in bringing others and introducing them to You. I pray that's our prayer this morning. I'm going to close us in prayer and I want to invite you to spend time reflecting upon the Word of God and confessing perhaps things to Him that you need to confess. Maybe, maybe you've been complacent. Maybe you've not been walking as a disciple of Christ, as you should. You've not been growing, and it's time to move from weak Simon to to the rock. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your graciousness. Thank you, Lord, that when we feel so distant from you, you are never far away, that you're always near. And that when we come to you, you are so gracious to us that we pick up where where we left you. And so, Lord, for those this morning who are struggling to walk as disciples, I pray that you would supernaturally empower them and help them to get into your word and to study and to pray and to surround themselves with brothers and sisters who will strengthen them and encourage them. And Lord, for those who are just simply infantile in their faith, I pray that you would help them to grow by studying and learning of your word and Lord for those this morning perhaps who are seekers that are here I pray that you would you would come to them and that you would meet them right where they are Lord Jesus that you would convict of sin and call them to repentance and following you so thank you Lord for your grace in our life and we ask that you would strengthen us for this day it's in Christ's name we pray amen